you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Around the NFL podcast doesn't understand the catch rule either. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. Um, Sunday flagship program where we're going to break down all of the week six action. The pod brought to you, of course, by Mr. Flames economics class in The Hague, the Netherlands. Mr. F. And I'm very excited about sh- today's show. And by the way, everyone watching on Periscope right now, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> That's... It's natural. It's a little Joey Tribbiani callback. It's for you. natural. That's that's what people look for. It's not just the results. It's a little bit of personality. Sure, sure. That's what we do. And I'm excited about today's show uh, because we got a, a saucy Mark Sessler downstairs today, and I think we're going to get a big performance out of Mark. Not to put too much pressure on. No, you. I mean I might have completely run out of gas. It's been a long day. Wes, you were you had a front row seat for Mark today. Very fired up, kind of a saucy Sessler. This started last week. The Mark really has only three or four teams in the NFL he wants to watch right now, and everyone else can go take a dirt nap. Well, there are a lot of you know what I know. We're not supposed to say this, but there are a lot of crappy, junky, incomplete teams, and so when I see one or two dominate the way I saw today, and we'll get to that, I enjoy it. You've just reached a point where like you you think you can read a game now, and and five minutes into the game, you want the other team to go away. Yeah, they need to get off my radar. And this was <laughs> get out of my life. So yeah, well, maybe this this hopefully will pop up organically uh, some of this passion in Mark's uh, thoughts about the NFL. But again, uh, another week as we're going about to jump into all the games and then cap it off with the Sunday night game between the Colts and Texans. Uh, some of these games, I just can't make sense of some of this stuff. No wonder a lot of our locks of the week are going awry. The NFL is hard to figure out right now. Let's get into some of these games. Let's do it. Let's start with a a team that maybe 
is a lot, uh, you know, hard to figure out for a lot of people. Maybe not now, but entering the season, nobody saw this coming. The Atlanta Falcons, who fresh off defeating the Denver Broncos in Denver, travel to Seattle. And uh, they put themselves in a tough spot. The Seattle Seahawks jumped out to a comfortable early lead. But then the Falcons reel off 21 straight points in the second half. Uh, but an Earl Thomas fourth quarter interception right at the point where the uh, Falcons had a chance to potentially salt the game away with a one-point lead. That led to a go-ahead field goal, a 26-24 win at the clink for the Seahawks. And uh, Chris Wessling, the Falcons, they let this one get away. And you know what? The refs didn't help them any. Seahawks first let it get away, then the Falcons let it get away. You're right, the rest didn't help. Part of it was Julio Jones, his first target of the game that did not result in a catch, was an interception off his fingertips that led to the go-ahead field goal for the Seahawks. Falcons had a chance to come back and take the lead on fourth down, Matt Ryan, desperation heave into double coverage, Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman, with Richard Sherman hanging on Julio Jones's arm, an egregious missed call on a pass interference penalty, officials often let jump balls go on the last play of the game. This one should have been called. It should have, and it takes a lot for Dan Quinn to go as nuts oh, as Oh, he as went he crazy. On the sideline, but he knew that's a game-changing play. Now, you don't just hand the win to the Falcons at that point. They'd have the ball at midfield with not a ton of time and still needed to hit a field goal in a road environment. Doesn't they're mean, on the other side of midfield. But yeah, the other point. side, yeah. but they would have had to get some more yards. They would have to you know, count on a long kick. You, you never know. It's crazy in this game how dominant Seattle was for three of the quarters, and Atlanta went up and down the field for the third quarter. I mean, they had three long touchdown drives in Seattle right down their throats, couple coverage busts, but they had 250 yards in one quarter. They only had about 100 yards the whole rest of the game. Yeah, the Seahawks dominated, in every sense of the word, the offensive line of the Falcons in the first half. Blitz calls, and then Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett just wrecking the pocket. Matt Ryan had 17 dropbacks in the first half. It was hit on 11 of those. Wow. And Michael Bennett, five quarterback hits and didn't play the last one and a half quarters of the game. His absence in the third quarter was directly related to uh, those three drives by the Falcons, not to mention blown coverage, which I believe probably resulted from Richard Sherman going from zone defense, which he usually plays, to -to man-to-man and the confusion therein following Julio Jones around. Michael. Can't we say – oh, sorry, Dan, go ahead. I was just saying, Michael Bennett suffered a, an apparent knee injury. We don't know how serious it is right now. He expects to play next week, he okay, said. Yeah, that's a good game. sign. It is a brutal loss for the Falcons based on the final couple of seconds. And Dan Quinn, who, you know, he keeps a lid on his emotions more than some coaches, had every right to be furious with what he saw on the field. And it's a tough loss to swallow. But I also think that it – for the Falcons, they've passed the test on some level where this isn't some fluky team that's going to wither up and vanish a couple weeks from now. Their offense is legit, and part of maybe the third quarter dynamics was that they adjusted well to what they were seeing from Seattle. Absolutely, and you have to give Kyle Shanahan and Matt Ryan credit for that. Matt Ryan was dealing, as Greg said, while he was watching him in the third quarter. He was in rhythm, and Kyle Shanahan's halftime adjustments were superb. He's been great all year. I think you said it right. They they have faced this test where it was Panthers, Broncos, Seahawks, and we said this team, they've been beating up on cupcakes. Now they they look like the real deal right now. That, I got to give their defense a lot of credit too. You look at on the road here, Russell Wilson was almost invisible in this game. You didn't, you didn't really see much from him at all. Well, uh, he played well. He did. His stats aren't going to look great, but he played really well. 
Okay, and Kristen Michael uh, held under four yards a carry. That nothing, nothing really jumps out when you look at the box score. Is something that that Seattle was able to impose their will on offense against Atlanta's defense. So that's a good sign for a team we know they have a great offense. Yeah, I think their defense is still mediocre. It might be a little bit better than we thought at the beginning of the year, but it all depends on their pass rush, and they didn't have much of that today. Were you concerned that the Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman duo that was so effective a week ago. I mean, looking looking at the numbers, you saw it live like that they they seem to be taken out of this one. I think the burgeoning Ezekiel Elliott aside, this is still the best mm. backfield, the best complementary backfield in the league. And this was just Michael Bennett and that defensive line owning the line of scrimmage. And, and for them to win a game where they don't have Frank Clark, they don't have Bennett for much of the second half, they don't have Cam Chancellor and his replacement Kelsey McCray seemed to be directly leading to those two coverage busts, or at least was part of those two plays. You know, Seattle playing Seattle straight up at home where they look even, that's a great result, but it's still a great result for Seattle uh, to go 4-1 and one to get a bigger lead in this division. I hate how this game ended, though. I got to say. I, I do, too. It was such a great game to watch, you know, in the last – and the last uh, half is when I was really like uh, closely watching the game, and it, to come down to a, a obvious blown call where Richard Sermon grabbed Julio Jones's arm, kind of pulled it away, took away his center of gravity, made it an impossible catch, and to miss that call it, to me kind of marred the end. Well, it of the felt game. like a pro wrestling uh, lever to pull. Like you know, this is a tough situation for the visiting team, the opponent, right. and we're not going to give them the call, and they'll deal with it. But it's like, hold Mr. on, Fuji here. salt to the eyes. Sure. You can't take away the third quarter because it happened, but Seattle was dominant, like Greg said, for three or four quarters. And you, and if you're a Seahawks fan, you you got the win and you look dominant for 75%. Well, and, and there was three plays before that fourth and ten, incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. And I, I kind of thought, well, this isn't a bad spot for Atlanta. I know they're in Seattle, but you only got to get 40, you know, 45 yards to set up a game-winning field goal plenty of time. They couldn't do it. Let's move on. First down, 31 seconds left, no timeouts. Snap to Dak, looking right. Fade, right side of the end zone. Touchdown! It's a touchdown! It's Bryce Butler. It's a touchdown. That's one of the most unbelievable drives they have run in years. The Dallas Cowboys are bad men. <laughs> bad in a, men. In a good way? Oh, in a good mm, way. Well, very good way. If you're a fan of the Cowboys, if you're, if you're a fan of an NFC team, you're getting nervous because Dak, Zeke, and company rolled into Lambeau Field on Sunday and dominated for four quarters, cruising to a 30-16 to win on another day where the Packers' offense looked stuck in mud. Mark Sessler, who this was the game where Mark was really almost in a rage. You know the part <laughs> in the Seahawks game where they showed Earl Thomas's eyes, Wes? Yes, he looked yeah. like Mike Singletary with that focus. Right, in that last drive of the game, and it was like, oh, that laser <laughs> focus. That was Mark, wild-eyed watching this game, rooting hard against the Packers. Not even so much for the Cowboys, Mark. You were, it was well, like, Mark was Dan Quinn, and the Packers <laughs> were that ref. Was that ref? Yeah, I mean, I can explain it if you'd okay. like. Why don't we get into the game a Let's little bit? Let's get into yeah. the game first. So the Cowboys have a formula here, and nobody seems to know how to stop them, Mark. They don't. This is a fun team to watch. One thing that I tweeted was that everyone goes into every season expecting the Green Bay Packers to put up 800 points and just roll right into the NFC title game. And they're at home today and got absolutely physically dominated by a Cowboys team that has a fairly simple script, but is a violent script. It is, we're going to run right through you. You try to deal with us. We're going to set the tone with Ezekiel Elliott. And it was an embarrassing game for the Green Bay Packers (laughs) to get handled this way at Lambeau Field. They're going to have to go look at this tape and figure out what's wrong with their team on both sides of the ball. Whew. 
sizzle. Ezekiel Elliott, you know, I was going, I think you have two potential rookie of the candidate, rookie of the year candidates, and give it to both of them. Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott could be co-rookie of the year on offense. I'd have no problem with that. And I understand that we're supposed to say that Tony Romo's going to come right back and just he's going to take this starting job. I no longer believe that. This game changes that narrative entirely. I thought that. I mean, I got almost thrown out of the studio, and I questioned that that could be a possibility a couple of weeks ago. But he keeps on making plays week after week, and if they roll into week eight or nine and they have one loss, there's no way that they're going to take him out. It just it doesn't make any sense. You're waiting about a month in on a, on a promising rookie quarterback for teams to catch up and start to slice and dice the right. guy, and we have not seen that. Yes, he threw his first pick today, but he also shattered an NFL record for going 163 completions to start his career without a pick, taking down Tom Brady's record. And after fumbling the ball, the play after he set that record, Dak Prescott, you know, a few drives later, put on a show with a one-minute drive right before the half. We're in about 33 seconds and four plays and 77 yards, went right down the field on Green Bay's defense and absolutely put up a beautiful touchdown pass to Bryce McCain. And this game, I think, was out of hand very early in the third quarter because Green Bay could not set the tone. Well, the Cowboys are the same every week. They come out of the gates uh, setting the tone with these long drives on offense. They're great in the two-minute drill every single week, and Dak Prescott did it again before halftime. And it's at the point where you have to say this Cowboys defense isn't just overachieving and, and they're, they're average, which is great for them, and we kind of think they're going to fall apart. We have to say this is a pretty solid defense, a team that can contend to be a title type of team. It's a good secondary. It's not a great front seven. They're making plays. But they have Sean Lee, and like you said, it's kind of a simple defense where they where they fly around. But the, the secondary is legitimately good. Barry, Chort, Barry Church, Maurice Claiborne, uh, Morris Claiborne, uh, Byron Jones is playing very well this year. I mean, they have players in the back end. Well, and they complement the offense, which says we want to go out and do seven- and eight-minute drives and put the opponent on their heels, and that keeps your defense fresh. Will it work every game? No, but it worked in a game that if you don't want to believe in Dallas, that's, you're in a tough road. You're in a tough place after this game. Uh, and on the Green Bay side, and you know when we did our uh, go-get-my-lunch props uh, last month, I, I stuck my neck out a little bit for the Packers. I said 530 points. I got crazy. Uh, that's how many points their offense would score. But you know what? I was not alone in the thought uh, that this offense would pick up where they left off the, in 2014 uh, once they got healthy and with Aaron Rodgers involved. But now, and Bob McGinn wrote about this uh, in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel this morning uh, about how Aaron Rodgers has not been a, a superstar for a full season now. Wes, this is a team with serious problems on the offensive side of the ball, and there are no obvious solutions. Well, serious problems start with Aaron Rodgers now. Last year we talked about the wide receivers, the pass protection, the running game, and now we have to accept that starting with the middle of last year, and I wrote about this a couple of times last year, he got into bad habits because he had to improvise when plays break down so much, but now he's only comfortable when the play breaks down, and he wants to throw without setting his feet he, he's always been good at throwing without setting his feet, but now he wants to do it most of the time. Well, it, it's almost like the Packers' offensive line is playing too well for Rodgers because he's not facing any pressure, and he's looked more lost, I believe, last week than he's ever looked when he faced no pressure at all. There's a stat from Pro Football Focus today, only faced pressure on 6 of 46 dropbacks today against the Cowboys. That's a very you know low amount. On plays with no pressure, 6.2 yards per attempt. He's playing worse when he has time to throw, which is just a, a, a strange thing. Yeah, and it totally played out today. There were 
plays where seconds would pass and he'd just be dancing back in the pocket. But who do you blame when he fumbles the ball inside the five close to a touchdown against Dallas? And who do you blame when he completely overthrows Randall Cobb in the end zone on a key drive? That airmail, it was on a free play in the third quarter, would have brought Green Bay within a a touchdown, and it's a a different game at that point. Instead, he airmails what would have been a gimme touchdown by the old Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, it's just it's a a thing that now it's no longer a a trend. It's just it's like the new normal in Green Bay. I think everybody's trying to make sense of it. It's an extended slump brought upon by a lapse in fundamentals. That doesn't mean that he's broken beyond repair or this is the beginning of a decline. It means it has to get fixed. Well, I I think it's also coaching, though. I think other coaches get you know, scheme to get the receivers open better than, than Green Bay does, who kind of trots out the same guys and, and expects them to win. And I know it's really early in the season, and they're, they're two games back of the fucking. I do think if the offense doesn't get better by the end of the season, I, I think you're going to wonder if Mike McCarthy keeps his job. I mean, because he's an offensive guy, and it's been a long, long time. And I think Ted Thompson, who's obviously been very hesitant to think about a change, I think if the offense is low to poor – they might make a change. Yeah, and one final note, like this team is boring to watch. You don't think that's going to be the case when you have what we thought was a Hall of Fame top five quarterback, and I still do, ultimately, running the show. It's it's a capsized attack that is hard on the eyes. And is 2016 Aaron Rodgers coachable? We don't really know that. And one of the – in that McGinn piece, Greg, that – you and I both liked. It was really good. Uh, he did. There was a little La Raville Magnifico uh, in that uh, post about an ex- when he was asked about his exhibition game struggles. Uh, he completely dismissed it. What was the? Well, they said, "What? What do you expect?" I think even before the game to get out of this, you know, preseason game, he said nothing. Right, and, you know, the, and, and, and the they, inference was that he's a guy that you know shouldn't be looking at things that way. He he made some comments that that. Rodgers does not face a lot of criticism from coaches, players, fans, or anything. I think people are a little afraid, afraid to be honest with them. Let's move on. This will be a 52-yard attempt. He has hit from 57 against Atlanta. Left hash mark, 52 yards away. Will Lutz, the walk-on from Georgia State, drills it forward and drills it through. Will Lutz has hit it with 11 seconds left. And the Saints have taken a three-point lead. How about that? How about that? As a 30 Rock fan, I love that there's a Lutz in the NFL right now. Curtains for Carolina? Will Lutz's 52-yard field goal in the final seconds lifted the Saints to a 41-38 win over the Panthers at the Superdome. The Panthers rallied back from a huge deficit in this one. Greg, how much was it at its biggest? 21-0. 21-0, but their defense couldn't make the stop to let them steal the game. Instead, the Panthers are 1-5, and, and on the edge of the abyss in the NFC playoff picture, just like we all predicted, right, Greg? <laughs> no one saw this coming. We did wonder... How will they handle adversity? That was something we talked about in the, in the preview. How will this team handle uh, some things going poorly? Because it never happened last year. This is, this is the, a team that every time they lose a game, they fall apart. They went 1-8-1 and one a couple of years ago before they made that run. Uh, then they've gone 22-2 and two for a stretch. Now they're 1-5, and five, and it's, it's all on the defense. No one should be shocked that the Saints put up a lot of points in the Superdome in a division matchup because that's what the Saints do. But, look, the Panthers' offense did enough to win this game, and Ron Rivera's defense, especially the secondary, Zach Sanchez and Kirk Coleman and Trey Boston and that whole group got shredded when it counted. 
Drew Brees throws for 465 yards two weeks after Matt Ryan throws for 500-something. I mean, it sounds – when Dave Gettleman decides that I'm not going to pay a cover two corner $15 million, it sounds good on paper in the offseason. Look at the discipline of this good general manager. But you got a Super Bowl window, and you're mm-hmm. blowing a season of that window because your secondary is not good enough. Yeah, I think – I think Josh Norman has shown in Washington what a great cornerback he is. I think he's having a Pro Bowl season, and for him to do it for another team shows that it's not just the Carolina system. So it is the defense. I don't think you can put it all on that decision. It's part of it. I don't think Thomas Davis has been quite the same. K1 Short's definitely not been the same. They haven't had any pass rush. Tony Ely hasn't done what he did in the Super Bowl, not even close to it. That said, the game is 21-0. I follow a lot of Saints reporters, fans. You, know, you sure every, do. Everyone, everyone that's a, a Saints fan expected them to blow this lead. Once it was 21-10 at halftime, they were just assuming that this game's going to come down to last possession. It's amazing. That's Yep, that's exactly how it happens. It comes down the top three scoring games in terms of most points in a game, all NFC South games. Falcons, Panthers, Saints. When those two teams have played, that's the three highest scoring games of the year. Well, this the Saints do not matter in this NFL season. They're two and three, though. I hear they're you. That's three. fine. And they're going to be about five and eleven. Mark's ire. Well, I find this. This is before the season. This is this is a formula yeah. for every Saints game ever since they won the Super Bowl. Drew Brees throws for four hundred plus yards. You can't really run the ball consistently. You give up about a thousand yards on defense, and it goes down to the wire. It's forty-one to thirty-eight, and we're all excited about the Saints. This is a no one's excited. You know what? Listen, <laughs> no one hey Mickey excited. Loomis, how about this? You're not running the NBA Pelicans over here. You don't give up 38 points on defense or 41 points week after week and act like you're fundamentally getting anything done here. It's been the same problems for half a decade. Solve them. This is unwatchable football. To me, I don't like this. Maybe this is the product that other people want to see. I don't think so. This is boring football when you're giving up this kind of real estate and points week after week. You've had half a decade to fix it. You haven't done it. Imagine they lost today. Right. Not, it's with, a meaningless hollow win. I'm with you. Mark is saying, like, I, I think oh he's, he's saying everything the Saints fans, and we, we've talked about it last year when they gave Peyton that extension that, like, he has shown he cannot fix a defense. That said, you know, they won this game at home. They've won two in a row now. They're not out of it by any means at two and three. All four of their games, or four of their five games have come down to the last second. Well, out of what? What do we want them to achieve? Would we be? Would anyone who cares about NFL football and the quality of NFL football be excited to see this version of an NFL team make the playoffs? They are out of it. Wasn't there some comment about <laughs> yeah, Sean Payton in a briefcase? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, listen. Good for him, but he's walking around the owners' meetings with his contract extension in his briefcase. This is Sean Payton knows how to coach football as well as anyone on offense, but the the fundamental lingering issues on the other side of the ball are completely unacceptable. Tons of other coaches would have been dealt with by now. We, we've been through their defensive struggles I, wait, at nauseam. I, I mean, they're down right, can I just say five cornerbacks. The, the Saints won today. Yeah. So let's talk about the Panthers here who uh, – they're are they done? Are they done at one and five? Because I, I want to say they won, what, like 14 in a row last year. But this isn't last year anymore, and like the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, it's at the point now where it's like, is this a slump, or is this the new normal? Are the Panthers just not good, Wes? Is that where we're at now? They're not a good team right now. The offense, just by reading the box score, looks like they bounced back and were fine today. But they also started, they also didn't do anything early. They, they punted the ball, which against New Orleans, it's like an arena league team. You can't punt. The signs are there. Cam Newton passed well. Jonathan Stewart ran well. Kelvin Benjamin and Greg Olson caught well. 
Those things happened, but the defense just gave up too many and, points and yards. And we're, you know, I, I, I'm sure you guys have got some as well. I got a bunch of tweets about forking the Panthers. I'm not ready to do it yet. I think that the would I be surprised even in the least bit if come December first they're in the middle of the race for a playoff spot. Maybe not the division, uh, but a playoff spot. I would not be surprised I'm because they've done this out. before. They've gotten right. off to horrible starts. They've shown that they can be incredibly bad, streaky. Though. It is. They're yeah. not. I don't, you know, barring an absolute injury-riddled collapse by Atlanta, this division is not going to be won by Carolina. But I don't think they'd have a problem with them sticking around for a couple. Yeah, more. I, I agree. They're another team. Three games have come down to the last second field goal. They've only been outscored by 15 points, but they're not. They're not good. I mean, it's amazing in this in this spot that Cam Newton and and the rest of the crew couldn't do it. Uh, that by the way, Jim Henderson of WWL with that call. Let's move on. Wentz on third down. Drop down back at the forty-eight yard line. The fifth Washington sack. Uh, it's been fitting because all day long they have been all over Carson Wentz. Kenny Albert of Fox. The Redskins' fifth sack of the game was the final nail in the coffin for Carson Wentz and the Eagles on Sunday as the Redskins held on for a 27-20 win at FedEx Field. The Redskins have now won four straight. Go figure after that ugly uh, 0-2 start. On Sunday, the Redskins' uh, decision to go after Carson Wentz paid off, didn't it, Mark? This was a fascinating game, and I was telling you guys during it, that I, I'll be interested to see what you think when you watch us on Game Pass because something remarkable happened out of the gate, something I didn't expect, and it was the way that Washington played excellent keep-away football from the Eagles. They got enough from the running game early and made key passes through the air. Kirk Cousins had one of the best games he's had in a while. At one point, they had run 38 straight plays with none for Philadelphia except for a kneel down to end the first half. Carson Wentz did not see the field for roughly 20 minutes at one point of game time. And this score, 20-27, to 27, you just want to go look at the box score, good for you. It's not as close as it was. The, the, the touchdowns for Philly came off of pick six, the only really bad play by Kirk Cousins through the air, and off of a kick return. And so, so this was an otherwise an absolutely smothering defensive effort by Washington. Not a team I would have seen it coming from. They were in Kirk, they were in Carson Wentz's face from the first second. They sacked him twice on the first drive, and they got him twice on the last. And this was a punishing. This is this was Carson Wentz facing a defense that put him number one. They were going to go after him, and they got it done. We haven't seen him face this heat all year. All the all of his previous touchdowns came against teams that were not pressuring him. So. This was an interesting turn of events for the Eagles. I don't think that I think they're still a good team. Washington commanded this one from the start. Four in a row. This surprises. I mean, it's surprising. Washington, I mean, every there were you know the Bills and the Redskins were the two talks of the league in terms of worst case situations playing out in their respective conferences. First of all, neither team has lost since. But on the Redskins side of it, Wes, I mean. Kirk Cousin was getting playing terribly, getting killed in his locker room. It had leaked out to the press, and now they're they're beating everybody. Is this surprise you how well they're they're playing right now? It does, and I think what we've been asking for is what is what do they hang their hat on? What do the Redskins do well? And this game, from Mark's recap, you can see is the blueprint that Scott McLuhan had in mind when he decided to draft Brandon Sheriff over Leonard Williams. We want to play keep away football, dominate in the ground game. And they haven't dominated in the ground game really except for two or three games over the last two years. But this is what they want to do because you don't have Kirk Cousins 
as the focal point of your offense. You have him as a guy who is doing well because he's buoyed by surrounding talent. Yeah, I mean, he threw his touchdowns. He got two of them today, but it was a balanced attack down the stretch where you're right, the running game's been so up and down. Greg's been a big Matt Jones guy. You'll like this game. 135 yards at 8.4 per carry today, and what it was was down the stretch when they needed to – it got close. Wentz nearly brought the Eagles back with all the stuff that happened, and I kept thinking this is going to go to overtime. But a couple possessions later, Matt Jones cut, ran off a couple big runs and put this thing out of reach. Robert Kelly, the rookie, looked great too, 59 yards. They had 230 yards. From Tulane. That's the A storyline here. A Tulane player. So many running backs from Tulane. It's just just running back you. Uh, That's three out of four weeks where they've closed out games on the ground. So they're starting to build up something there where they really run the ball well in the second half, close out games. I've picked on this Redskins team for not having anything exciting, especially on defense. Looks like Trent Murphy, Ryan Kerrigan got after it today. Murphy is putting together a good season. Kerrigan's solid. I mean, those are the guys you got to build around. Doesn't get you going in the morning. But the NFC East is good. I was just about to I mean, say. We, got the Eagles yep, and the, we got the Eagles and Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. It deserves to be there next and week. That's if, a nice matchup. If the Redskins are finding identity and they're going to be winning games this season and you put them in the mix, you got the Redskins, the Giants, the Cowboys, the Eagles. There's not a bad team in the bunch. Well, the Redskins would be in the playoffs if the, se- if the season ended now. So they're doing pretty well. I want to know, Mark, what's the state of uh, Carson Wentz after this game? I'm not worried about Carson Wentz because I still see – I think, listen, they, the game plan took him out. He was off the field for 20-plus minutes at one point. This was a total team win for the Redskins. Carson Wentz, you know, you didn't get to see a lot from him today. I have no problem with him going forward. He's still a very talented young quarterback that's showing just as much as Dak Prescott in many ways. But this game, when, you're, when, you're, when your whole offense gets handed this kind of deal today, good luck. Let's move on. It's a second and 18 for the Bengals. Snap to Dalton. Late blitzer coming. Hightower has him in the end zone. Throws him down for a safety. A sack for New England. That's the Andy Dalton we know. Oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. Oh. Now you guys know why I'm such a jerk. This is, I, a, thought, I thought everyone was like that this. That is Bob Sochi, and that sounded like Scott Zolak. That's Zol- Zolak is the guy who's always a bit of a the loose sports cannon. Sports hub. That is some loose cannon color work by I like, Zolak. I like the exclamation right, right, right when it happened. He didn't even say a word. He just goes, ugh. What is, I mean, so excited. Jeez, what does he have against Andy Dalton? Anyway, here on the throne of ease, a locked-in Tom Brady and a healthy Rob Gronkowski, an impossible hassle for teams, something the Bengals were reminded of on Sunday in the Patriots' 35-17 win in Foxborough. Uh, Chris Wessing, the Bengals did their best to hang around in this game, but the Pats, they're just too much to handle. If you look at the box score, you would think Brady was locked in all game. That was not true. Hashtag slight regression. No, not a, not a regression, but for the first quarter okay. and a half, the Bengals' secondary was stingy. It did not let anybody get open, and they got a pass rush. Brady was pushed out of the pocket, pushed off his sweet spot, and couldn't get any rhythm going until Drake Kirkpatrick's mm. illegal contact penalty on a third and 18 gave them new life, and they went down the field. James White touchdown. Then starting the second half, Andy Dalton has a great touchdown drive. Bengals take the lead. Patriots go deal with that Zolak. Patriots go three and out. Looks like Bengals are taking control of the game, and then a Cedric Abouye penalty puts puts him in position for that safety. Dante Hightower second straight week with a safety. After that, Patriots scored twenty four points on their next four possessions, mm. and the onslaught was on. Bengals couldn't keep up. That's that's the tricky part of playing a keep away type of strategy. 
is if a team as explosive as the Patriots can put up points quickly, you don't have time to come back. They had nine drives in this game, the Patriots. I, I would, I'm pretty sure that's the fewest drives by any team in any game this season, and they put up 35 points in nine drives. It's hard to do. Bengals dominated time of possession in this first half, and then the second half, the Patriots are just too much Gronk. The Gronk is all the way back health-wise now. Four plays of 25 or more yards in this game, and it got things got feisty. Vontae Bur- Vontae Perfect. He got uh, you know some of his dirty tactics on low hits uh, after Adam Jones went low on Gronk on a play. Uh, Gronk let Jones know about it. Perfect got angry about that, and then on the next play, Gronk had another big first down, which led to a little a little bit of a shimmy, a drop ball shimmy by Gronk toward the Cincinnati sideline that drew a flag, but totally understandable for a guy that got his knee blown out on a, a low hit. Not to mention right before then, Vontez Perfect went low on Martellus Bennett's knees on a play when Bennett didn't even have the ball. That was nasty. Well, this it's to be expected from that player. The dirtiest player I've ever seen. But what the about the Wow. Wow. What about that three-game suspension? Wasn't that supposed to clear his mind of this type of filth? That's not always how this what works. What do you expect uh, when an entire city makes excuses for him week after week and day after day? Vontez Perfect <laughs> can do whatever he wants, and Cincinnati will back him. Their coaching wow. staff will back him. It's turned He's into dirty. A He's a renegade. You have to sit Vontez Perfect down if he doesn't get the message. I'd be real concerned about this Bengals team at this point. You're going to get a win next week in Cleveland, but the schedule after that is it's rough right up until the end, and everything that we thought about the Bengals, you're going to be a hard-nosed running team that beats people up. I'm looking at what the two main running backs, Bernard and Jeremy Hill, produced today, and is it unimpressive in real life as it looks on paper? It is, and I think if you – if you say the Bengals deserve benefit of the doubt because they've been there for five straight years, they'll turn their season around. You have to believe they're going to turn their running game around if you believe that because they don't have anything but A.J. Green going on offense right now, and he's having an all-pro year. But I think it's telling when you have three out of four. They get a goal line stand stuffed first and one from the goal line. Three Gio Bernard runs. I don't know where Jeremy Hill is during that series. But three Gio Bernard runs, and he can't get in the end zone. I think that tells you a lot. He'll vanished for stretches of time in the previous game, too. I mean, they were manhandled by Dallas. And, you know, I'm not shocked they lost today. But there's a, a string of bad games here for the they, Bengals. Right. Well, they're they not, need they, Tyler Eifert. Right. They I mean, need him back. That is such a huge missing piece for them. Their schedule's been front-loaded on the road. Four of their six games have been on the road. They've been against great teams, Pittsburgh, Dallas, New England. But there's not a lot to be excited about. Uh, let's move on, gentlemen, and talk about another AFC East team uh, that keeps on winning. The Buffalo Bills are rolling. A revitalized LaShawn McCoy ran for 140 yards and three scores, and Colin Kaepernick's return to the starting lineup did little to spark the Niners in Buffalo's 45-16 win at Orchard Park. Greg, we have to consider the opponent here, Greg. I guess. I like that. Why are you rubbing Dan, my shoulders? Dan right now For is gently massaging Greg's <laughs> left shoulder. I've never it up. felt less comfortable. Setting it up I'm here. I'm about to call HR. We have to consider the opponent here, but Rex and the Bills have some swag. They do. They put it on the 49ers defense in a way that Rex Ryan could not have dreamed of any better. 312 yards on the ground. Oh, Rex loves the 300-yard rushing day more than anything in the world. That's the most rushing yards given up by the San Francisco 49ers since 1958. The only thing good that gets team. Rex, good team that 58 team. The only thing that gets Rex more excited than 300-yard rushing days from his team are feet. 
1958 49ers? No, I don't know if they were really that good. I looked up their, who their coach was, but I totally forget now. Trying to get a reaction out of Sessler today. I can't get it. <laughs> what? What do you want me to say? <laughs> the feet but, thing. But, well, yeah, you the, know I'm what? I'm going to respond fit. to that. To bring it back around. Well, he's got, the, he's got two guys with the two best feet at their position in the entire league, Tyrod Taylor and LaShawn McCoy. I don't think anyone's harder to tackle than LaShawn McCoy nice right now. feet and, transition. And I think that Tyrod Taylor – with all due respect to Russell Wilson, is the best running quarterback in the NFL. Totally disagree. He's an unbelievable scram- scrambler. It doesn't mean you can make your whole offense around that, but it's just a fact. On days like this, they were getting some free rushers at him. He's getting away from them. He's buying time. He's throwing passes. Mostly he's just running. I mean, he had 68 yards on the ground, but so many on third and long where they could not get off the field because he can't tackle this guy. Well, Anthony Lynn needs to get some more love because Absolutely. this – what the Bills have done in the last four weeks is one of the best, most effective four-game stretches of running in the early season in the history of the NFL. Whoa. And the stats back that up. It is one of the most productive four-game stretch you've seen before midseason in the history of the NFL. I would tend to give mo- most of the credit for this Bills resurgence you know, to Zach Brown and Lorenzo Alexander, who both had good games, and, and Rex Ryan for the most part. But in this game, and, and really if you look at the way they've set the tempo in the other games, it's, it's been about the offense too. This, the difference in this game was really that the 49ers after a while just caved in. The Bills have kind of had been good for a half, but then quiet like they were against the Patriots and Rams. In this game, they ran away with it. It was only a one-score game. Yeah, I mean, in the third Zach quarter. Brown didn't pile up 500 yards of offense. I, I like what's happening on that side of the ball. And, you know, listen, we, we, we just took the Saints to the cleaners, and if they turn their defense around, I'll admit I'm wrong. And I'm willing to admit that I had Rex Ryan probably out of a job by week eight. And I couldn't be more wrong. Rex Ryan has shown some fight here, and the Bills have been fun to watch, and they are winning in a way if they can keep this up. It doesn't feel like a smoke and mirrors operation when you can run the ball this way. What about on uh, the San Francisco side? Colin Kaepernick, a lot of talk about it. It's pretty kind of an ugly scene, according to if you followed Robert Klemko's timeline outside uh, the Bills stadium, which maybe shouldn't be a surprise with people not being Kaepernick fans. How did he play? He was better than Blaine Gabbert, but that's a really low bar. You know, he avoided making the big mistake. It was a one-score game late in the third quarter. He's definitely a better runner than Gabbert. I thought he showed really good vision, really good job as a runner and as a scrambler. That was the best part of their offense again. I think I think he's got a little more back as a as an athlete than people give him credit, but he missed a bunch of throws still. I mean, you know, the the one touchdown they had, it was a very windy game, was a deeply underthrown ball. You know, he That's didn't look best. he didn't look well, like he's going to solve this team. He, he can't play defense for them. He can't play wide receiver. He's not good enough to, to save this team. This is a depressing team. Records aside, is this the worst club in the NFL right now? Yes. I think it's a strong argument for that. Now that the, that. the yes. Dolphins had a nice day today, uh, yes. I would say you probably could put them – I'm not I, saying that there aren't other teams very close. No, to they're them, but. they're the worst because they have so little. They have so little on either side of the ball at this point. By the way, the coach of uh, the 58 uh, 49ers, Frankie Albert, and uh, a nice little quarterback combination: Y.A. Tittle and John Brody, two guys who had great careers. I think Leo Namalini was on that defense. <laughs> nice, good history. Wes was about eight years old when that when that <laughs> season happened, which is unfair for me to say because I'm older than Wes. So, Thank you. <laughs> let's uh, move on. Manning out of the gun, single back left. He takes the snap. He looks, he throws. Oh, no, Beckham Jr. Catch defender down. 40, 45, 50, 45, 40. Banks it out left 30, 25, 20. Down the left sideline, 10, 5. Touchdown, Odell Beckham Jr. 
66 yards. The fallen Raven defender writhing in pain on his back near the 40. Giants up 26-23. That's Bob Papa, WFAN. Odell Beckham Jr. put the Giants on his back, setting a career high with 222 yards and two touchdowns, including the go-ahead score that you just heard with 124 to play. In Big Blue's 27-23 win over the Baltimore Ravens, uh, Beckham punctuated those two second-half scores with various kicking net-related shenanigans and a potentially costly personal foul for removing his helmet on the field to play. But Wes... That all that stuff is annoying and it drives me crazy personally. But Beckham's greatness as a playmaker cannot be overstated. Every time I looked up, I watched the highlight package. He was running after the catch, past all, the entire secondary. They just couldn't catch up to him after the catch. And I agree with you. I'm not saying out of the four people in this room, I have the best handle on what constitutes humor. But <laughs> but if it's Wes, con- you got a great sense of humor. But that if was it's pretty funny. I'll say this: <laughs> if it's hilarious. contrived, it's not comedy. And the whole neck kicking thing is tired and it's contrived. That's a bit in his own head that is just like oh, taking off. Oh, sports writers his mind. love it. I saw some people like, oh, it really was fun. Like, no. no, it wasn't. Fun. It was Give me a break on fun. I just want people to know if you – we might as well break down the bit a little bit here. He <laughs> gets whacked in the head by the kicking net in one of the losses a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he scores a touchdown in a losing effort last week and kisses the net. After his uh, first touchdown today, he – lays down on the ground and pulls the net over him to simulate, I think, sexual intercourse. And then after the second touchdown, he gets down on one knee and proposes to the net. Me, oh. me, 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 me. But, you know, he also won the game single-handedly. So, you know, I got Giants fans coming after me because uh, and I, it makes Lock me seem em. like the dorky white uncle or something. But I, the guy just drives me nuts with some of the behavior. And then he, and then he goes and has a performance like that right. on the field. I don't know. Like people lose their minds when you see a five-game stretch where he doesn't get in the end zone, and there are some games where he disappears, and they decide that he's overrated. Right. He's still one of the seminal talents in this league. Yep. I'd have a bigger issue with him ripping his helmet off in a rule violation that, that everyone should know, because that had things gone a little bit differently, we'd be talking about Odell Beckham in a completely different way right now. That you was, just can't put your team in that position. There was a, a one twenty-four to play when he got that penalty, and then uh, the Ravens were unable to make that final drive down the field. But, uh, you know, the Ravens on their side, three-game winning streak to start the season, now a three-game losing streak. And, you know, you really have to look at the injuries uh, that are piling up. Odell Beckham and Eli Manning both struggled – in the first half, Beckham lost the fumble early on. Eli, uh, Eli looked a little uh, discombobulated. But then they once cornerback Jimmy Smith went out for Baltimore with a concussion, uh, things changed quickly. And, uh, you know, Terrell Suggs left this game. Uh, Baltimore entered this game without three of their starting lineup, uh, starting offensive linemen playing, and Steve Smith out. So, I mean, that's a lot to be up against you. Elvis so. Dumerville hasn't played for this team it seems like every week they take a commanding lead or at least seem like they're in control of the game and then injuries happen and they have to adjust their playing style. Jimmy Smith, it, it it sounds like it's a concussion. Who knows how long he'll be out for. Sometimes it's not just how great is the player. It's who's behind him, and they are thin at cornerback. There is a steep drop-off. I feel like they after, have been for like four years. Right, and a steep drop-off after Jimmy Smith. And Ladarius Webb, who's been – Playing pretty well this year is involved in both of those Beckham plays. I mean, I think I think people you know that are Ravens fans are furious right now with Ladarius Webb for giving up those plays as the deep safety and a 400 yard uh, three touchdown three touchdown passing day from Eli Manning should quiet 
people like Greg that say, oh, maybe he's too old now to be a good quarterback. Well, I liked it in your post, Dan. You, you, yeah. uh, you didn't mention Greg, which is probably a good move from a, from a coworker angle, but yeah. you called it a dumb narrative that oh, age might explain the quarterback's recent slump, which I, which I did when, find to be a shot when was I bringing this up? You brought that up as, as something no, people were saying. You, and I said, well, that's not that crazy. No. You, because you got you, sometimes you get yourself in trouble because you get on contrarian corner even when you don't believe what you're saying, and in that case you <laughs> no. made the point. Well, it could be age, don't, right? But I didn't, I didn't raise that point. Who don't knows? tell Greg that he doesn't believe what he's saying. He hates that. I yeah. just like you know any chance that I have to get you and Dan into a tight spot like that um, maybe would encourage more shoulder rubbing from Dan. Like I know you that happened about ten minutes ago. Yeah, and you I didn't. Approved. It wasn't personal. I thought the you shoulder that. rubbing. Was that? Was- was that Eli Manning running through the secondary all game, or was it Odell Beckham? I get it, and I know that's your whole thing, but it's like then the quarterback doesn't get any credit for delivering the ball on time in a good spot and making the reads. Where was he the last few weeks, that quarterback? Where was Odell? I don't know. Probably just like – Crying on the sideline? Throw it up for grabs, let him make a play. That's how football works, Wes. And they're you in read la- a lot of football books. It's, it's a team effort. It's not just one guy. And yet they're in last place. It's a, it's a tough thing this Three NFC and three. Is. They're okay. They're okay. They're okay. Giants are okay. I think I still they are. I think a quintessential nine and seven team. I don't know. Yeah, if and I get it done, but I, I couldn't agree more. And I it, they've got a lot to figure out in other areas. Like this, the fact that you just simply cannot run the ball, that's that's your time is going to come up at some point. All right, let's move on, gentlemen. The Miami Dolphins, who were just saying, you know, this goes back to what I said at the top of the show. You can't figure out football sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you can't figure it out because they deliver the upset of week six. We were saying they were the worst team in football a couple days ago, but they took it to the Pittsburgh Steelers, a 30-15 to win at Hard Rock Stadium. Um, and the star here was Jay Ajay, who led the charge for Miami, rushing for a career-best uh, 200 and how many yards? Four. Four yards and two touchdowns, including a game-icing 62-yard uh, rush in the fourth. West Big Ben got banged up in this game, and the Steelers authored their second stinker in a five-week stretch. Reason for concern? I think there's reason to concern because of, of Ben's knee. You could call this a one-game aberration, but I think with Ben's knee and, and the fact that guys like Dave Damashek, who is a Steelers fan, were not surprised by this because Mike Tomlin is under 500 in his career on the road against teams with a 300 or worse winning percentage. 300. That's a wild stat. They, the Steelers do not show up uh, reliably on the road against awful teams. Happened against the Bucks two years ago, a disastrous loss out of nowhere. They have a habit of doing this, and then they have to play well late in the season because they give away too many games like this mm. during the season. And, you know, you look up, and I was tracking this game out of, out of the side of my eye, and, and the break. Steelers are not moving the ball. On offense until Darius Hayward Bay breaks off one of the most impressive touchdown runs of the season. Just physicality at the line of scrimmage and in the afterburners once you get into the second level. And that was their only offense. Big Ben was not moving the ball through the air, which we're used to seeing after he was raining bombs on everyone else the last couple of weeks. He just didn't have it going today. I think the Dolphins dominated the line of scrimmage. Well, they said, you know, he said he's going to get an MRI after the game. So who knows? This could be one of those injuries where it's worse. You know, well, guys, he's going to act like it's worth no matter what. I'm just saying, nobody the guy re- plays up an injury like Ben Roethlisberger. 
Just because a guy returns to the game doesn't mean he's necessarily going to play next week. And you can't blame it all on the injury because Miami was controlling uh, this game. Definitely not blaming it all. No, I know. No one, no one here was. I'm just saying they were, they were controlling the game before the injury. How? After what we've seen from Miami. To Dan's point, none of this. It seems like teams are a complete week-to-week operation, but, 80% of these NFL teams. The we all gave the Steelers a mulligan for that Eagles game. Hey, they're a great team that had a bad week. But then you lay another stinker, and then you just wonder what what's going on with the DNA of the team a little bit. They can completely destroy multiple teams in a row, but then sandwich it with two, like, poop bombs. So you just can't trust them on the road. Okay. Well, then you know what, it is, what it is, because yeah. they're not, they don't seem like they're streaking towards home field advantage in the AFC when you keep this up. And so for the manyth time in a row where they're going to get dropped in the, in the division <laughs> game and they're not going to probably get to the AFC Championship. It's, oh. it's a very well, – I'm just going to say, the Steelers fans, yeah. I don't think that they've had a hard road of it. But if you're living in that world of elite teams, it feels like a broken record for this to happen a over 40, and over to them. A 41-20 to 20 loss in New England in the divisional playoffs. Is that where we're headed on this? Something like that, or who knows? Maybe oh, who you knows, lose. Maybe yeah. you know. Maybe you lose a week seventeen game to a team with a third string quarterback because you're on the road. Well, well maybe- part of that DNA in the playoffs is that they have an important player injured. Well, Antonio that's true. That's Brown happened last year, tw- two times. Bell the year before that, in this game, they play without Big Ben for a part of it, and then you also have their two best defensive players, Cameron Hayward and Ryan Shazier, are not even in the lineup. This is kind of who the Steelers have become. I mean, I, do, I don't know how you give up 200 yards rushing to JJ. I mean, that's this it, isn't. Come on. And Antonio Brown gets shut down by Byron Maxwell. I think Adam Gase found the right amount of players to cut. It was 17 or whatever it's been so far. Like that was that was that what got, got the message across. That got the message across because they came out and they're playing well. That he benched Mario Williams for the first two drives of this game. Mario Williams uh, did not play. Uh, Do you t- think that has any staying power? The, what? the fact that you have to send this message in October is a huge warning sign, and it might work for one week. I think they have the talent, and it sounds like Tannehill played a very good game, to be a respectable team, not to be the worst team in the league. We'll have to see if they can do it for more than a see week. See what their effort is on the road. Well, one thing about the Dolphins, like other teams did more of a house cleaning in the offseason under new coaches. The Dolphins did not to the same degree, and so they went into the season with the same – you know, casket of players that they had last year, casket. the flatlining operation. Um, casket flatlining, I like that. I think. Well, I mean, come on, this is a crazy game. I have a, I have a Cecil here crazy. that we saw Mario Williams last game as a Miami Dolphin. Really? I think wow. he's going to be cut. Time to send another message. After the, after a after win, a he's going to be cut. Yep. Huh? Send that message. Overmatched coach makes wrong decision in big spot. Well, maybe the <laughs> Interesting right take. Let's move on. Yeah, that's probably wrong. <laughs> That's that's a big underdog right there. <laughs> Golden Tate lives. The forgotten wide receiver blew up on Sunday at Ford Field, going off for 165 yards and a touchdown on eight catches in the Lions' 31-28 win over the Rams in an entertaining game at uh, at Ford Field. L.A. lost this game despite Case Keenum delivering a spot-on Joe Montana impersonation. Whoa. Uh, it really was. <laughs> you'll watch this tape. You'll be like, whoa, is this Case Keenum or is this Joe Montana? <laughs> Am I right? You're going to say the same exact thing. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, the Rams running game continues to be abysmal. And I want to point out, because, Wes, I watched this game out of the side of my eye. Humble brag. Humble brag. Yeah. Also just a work task. Yeah. And um, (laughs) the the play that really accurately summarizes everything that that fails the Rams, because they want to be this tough, ground-and-pound, badass team, 
but they can't do it because they don't have uh, the hog mollies up front. Can you be a hog molly on the offensive line? Yes. Okay, good. Um, for, fourth and goal, one yard line, four seconds to play in the half. Uh, and Jeff Fisher says, let's go for it. Our, our big toughs against your big toughs with our Lamborghini of a running back getting the ball. He is swarmed under for a two-yard loss. Half ends. They end up losing the game by three points. They can't be the team that they want to be, and Todd Gurley is trapped in hell. So even on a day when Case Keenum literally plays like Joe Montana, they still can't win against the mediocre team. Well, they want to be the Cowboys. They have the same blueprint as the Cowboys have, except they spent an entire draft trying to build an offensive line and flunked on almost all of those draft picks, while the Cowboys really do have the best tackle guard and center in the NFL. Right. They they're they have Greg Robinson at left tackle. It was a number two overall pick in the draft. Been a basic, huge bust basically so a disaster. And then you have the entire class that they took last year, which it isn't working. When you look at the box score, Todd Gurley and Zach Zenner both had the exact same line oh, today, 14 depressing. for 58. And so when Zach Zenner starts for the Lions, Todd Gurley starts for the Rams, and that's a draw, you're not going to win that many games. I know they were able to score 28 points and be close, but you're not going to win that many games that way. Don't take anything away from Zach Zenner or Greg. <laughs> that was a shot at Mark, wasn't it? How was that a shot at Mark? Nah, it was. The Kenny Britt Just revival is real. He's now on pace for 80 mm-hmm. catches and 1,300 yards with Case Keenum as his quarterback. That's pretty good. And, and uh, t- Tavon Austin, who is getting paid $6.3 billion over the next five years, three for 24. Uh, is he going to be the first guy to sign a deal of that magnitude, be a nice guy and not be a, a problem and still get cut? Got wow. agents all over the place he, furious that he got that money. He's made some plays this year. Not not many. But they're, they're not going to convince themselves that he's been a, a problem for them. They're going to defend that up and down. We should give the Lions credit. I mean, this is a, a team that's had a lot of injuries. They were thin to begin with. And they've held up the last couple of weeks winning close games against the Eagles and the Rams. They're 3-3. Three and three. They've got reason to think, hey, we're not we're not out of this mix at all. They're getting great play out of Matthew Stafford. They get Ansa back this week. They've yeah. been like fun this to, line. They've been fun to watch for weeks. No in a row. Theo Riddick, you survived that. No Eric Ebron, you survived that. They have plenty of excuses, and they haven't taken it. And then the, on the other side, it's almost a you know um, a, the same situation. A fourth and goal uh, for the Lions in this game. A huge play in the game, and uh, Riverboat Caldwell uh, says we're going Cardiac for it. Cardiac Caldwell. Cardiac Caldwell goes for it. Stafford buys time uh, with Aaron Donald bearing down on him and delivers a beautiful throw that Andre Roberts uh, pulls in for the touchdown. So, you know, the, the Lions are just a little bit of a better team than the Rams. And I, the Rams are 3-3, three and three, but I still think this is going to be some 7-9 bull you-know-what. Well, you're not far away. Both of these teams. They've come back to the pack. Exactly. When I saw this result, I kind of thought, well, you know, the Lions deserve to be 3-3. Three and three. And the Rams deserve to be three and three. Like the luck evened out from the the first month of the season. Let's move on. The Tennessee Titans are showing signs of life, gentlemen. Marcus Mariota had a second straight productive game, and Rashard Matthews had a career day in the Titans' twenty-eight twenty-six win over the now zero and six Cleveland Browns. Mark, have the Titans solved their issues on offense? I wouldn't use this game as a some sort of acid test on that front, but they, for the first time all season, showed. Pretty juicy stuff in terms of downfield passing. Kendall Wright had what I think might be the catch of the day, and it didn't happen more than once. I mean, 133 yards off eight grabs, 
And they also got, uh, you know, Rashard Matthews involved, too. It's an element that we haven't seen, but you're going against a battered um, Brown secondary that had Joe Hayden on the sideline that lost their safety early on. I mean, there's just – Greg just talked about it's not just the player you lose, it's who behind him. And Cleveland's got a bunch of young players in the secondary with very little experience. So I don't know what to take away from this. They, Browns were very focused on trying to shut down DeMarco Murray. And they did that to a large part, but what it seemed to do was completely free up Mariota to run at will on this defense. They they got the job done, the Titans, and Cleveland made a furious you know comeback at the end. But it was the second week in a row that Cleveland could not run the ball at all. And so you look at Cleveland's schedule. Not sure where a win is coming. This was the game that uh, you looked at. You looked at this a month ago. Maybe this is where it was happening. The Titans three and three, and in that horrid division. Um, yes, you're still alive. I don't love this team, but we counted them out, you know, weeks ago, and they're three and three. The oh. prophecy foretold by former Ravens uh, head coach that escapes my mind, even though we're technically colleagues. Brian Billick. Brian Billick. What was the prophecy that he told? His his tweet was, "I don't know where you find a win on the Browns." How about home, oh. how about home versus the Jets? No. It's a possibility. F you, bro. I mean, sure, everything's a, a possi- po- everything's a possibility. The Dolphins just whack the Steelers. You're at home against a one-win team. You've been in every single game. That's a certain I'm just saying logically there isn't like, oh, that's the game where they're going to mop up. You know, and, and you know what? They put themselves in this position. So I understand you want to take uh, the Browns with a grain of salt if you're analyzing this game from the Titans' perspective. But we pointed out last week that Kendall Wright is by far their best receiver, and he hadn't been healthy. And Mark has said – Let's give this some time so Marcus Mariota can get used to the offense and used to the new players on his team. And even if it's weak opponents the last two weeks, he has played so much better. Yeah. And he's looked really good. And if you're going to try to shut down DeMarco Murray, Mariota's good enough to make you pay for it. Well, yeah, they, this was his best game of the year. They have made some significant changes. Mariota's running more. And then you look at the, the box score today. Andre Johnson didn't have a target. That's a good thing. Tajay Sharp didn't have a catch on three targets, and, you know, Sharp started out well. I think he's going to be an important part of this team, but you're making the offense more about Kendall Wright now that he's healthy, healthy. Rashard Matthews making plays. And uh, those two weeks where Mariota looked the worst were the weeks that Delaney Walker were out. And I know Walker didn't have a big game in this one, but he is such an important part of this team. They've had a really easy schedule, and so that has helped them get to 3-3. Three and three, But whatever, they have an offensive line, and they have a def- decent defense. One other thing, well, the, I would mention the defense too. They sacked Cody Kessler six times today. We talked about wow. it on Thursday that the matchup issue here, right, the matchup issue here was Cleveland's banged-up offensive line where Cam Irvin – your first-round center from last season does not look ready for prime time on any level. And Kessler got sacked six times. He got banged around a bunch from wire to wire in this thing, and you got to wonder how long he'll last. If, he played well otherwise. I was going to say Cody Kessler has shown some things. If Josh McCown is ready next week, do you stay with Kessler, the young kid? You're probably going to have to use them both at some point. I, I see no reason to sit. Kessler down. What is this team about? It's all about developing Kessler's younger players. Been, he's been he's been a positive for them. Kessler's been good. Yeah, I mean he hasn't. He, you're not going to build your team around him, but he's been good. Before we move on, we have to mark. I didn't see much of this game. What's Terrell Pryor is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's like it's it's. I think it speaks to the fact that it's so hard to find athletes that can make a position switch in football. Probably the hardest sport to do that in, and. 
What he's done is remarkable. Nine catches, 75 yards, but also he's just a matchup. Nine, one thing you see week to week with Terrell Pryor is that he's big enough and strong enough and has the hand strength to go one-on-one with premier cornerbacks and win matchups. I'm just so happy that your boy, Bill Belichick, butchered that personnel uh, decision, Greg. It wasn't the only one. So did the other 31 teams. Uh, yeah. yeah. He worked out for a bunch well, of teams. He was, on, right. he was on the Browns like last days. year and You're the right. Browns cut him. No, there is a difference. He really <laughs> thought the Patriots were going to sign him. And, uh, the I transformation my victories where I can get him, Wes, all right? That's fair. The transformation with Terrell Pryor, if you followed him in the offseason, it happened this offseason, that he, he put the work in and it he was, couldn't have been more serious about it. It was the first time that he had embraced the move to wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. The Oakland Raiders came down to earth in a game that started with a downpour, Greg. Uh, Alex Smith outplayed Derek Carr, and the Chiefs moved to 3-2 and two with a 26-10 win over the Raiders in the black hole on the road. Greg, this is a game where Kansas City's defense shined. It did, and it's good for Andy Reid and Bob Sutton and that team to see that defense starting to come around. Uh, but the thing we got to talk about first is, you know, the, the seventh wonder of the world. Andy Reid after a bye week. It's it's a bye week it's real. It's, it's real. It's really amazing. It's real and it's spectacular because <laughs> they this was by far their best game of the season. By far the Raiders worst game of the season. You know, this is the first game since Jack Del Rio's first game as Raiders coach where they weren't within one score at some point in the fourth quarter. It was a game that was for mutters. That was for the tougher team. Who was going to run the ball? And that was the Kansas City Chiefs, who really were the better team. I mean, everything about them was better today. It's fun to watch. Jamal Charles back on the grid. He was, and yet it was interesting to see them stick with Spencer Ware as their Mm. primary running back. I think Charles showed something on a few plays. He had a 17-yard run uh, that looked pretty good. We don't need to rush him back in. No, and and Ware is so good right now. Why bother? You have a good one-two punch. They were 23rd in the NFL in rushing entering this game. I don't know. Well, I, mean, I don't think you can put that on Spencer Ware at all, though. I think he's played really well overall. He, hadn't he kind of hit a slump the last couple of weeks before this game? Got hurt. I mean, I think the line, they've had seven, I think six different players start at guard for that team, so the line has been a problem. In general, Ware maybe isn't a spectacular. He's not going to wow you, but he seems like a good starting NFL running back to me. All you're saying is that Jamal Charles isn't going to make him vanish. Yeah. Okay. This sounded they're gonna like share, they're going to share the work. Why not? This sounded like Derek Carr's most suspect start of the year. Yeah, well, he had his first fumble of the year, which is amazing. He made it to week six. This is a guy who's been in the top five in fumbles two straight years, and so that's that's to his credit. He lost that. He threw an interception. He's very lucky that he didn't throw another. You know, when you watch the game pass, I, I think Carr has gotten away with a lot of throws where defenders drop passes this year. That's just that's just how it is. In this game, he wasn't you know, quite as lucky. The Chiefs had a good game plan for him. They, the Chiefs have owned the Raiders for whatever reason. How about the idea of uh, the Raiders, you know, learning this week that they weren't going to be the team of around the NFL? I thought about that. Knock them, on, uh, knock them their old ass a little bit. I think there may be a larger factor at work when you've got a building filled with hundreds of people that live in the Bay Area and make their life there and have their families there and their kids there, and you're finding out that you may be moving to Las Vegas, which is not a place a lot of people would move to, uh, you know, by choice necessarily. Uh, and I and I, think, I like my theory better. Okay, probably team of ATL had a larger impact, but I when you I look at they have the Jaguars <laughs> and Bucks next, so the the Raiders are probably going to get right here. But it, if that continues to be a reality that that. 
becomes the way it is. Lots of weird things happen to this. I always talk about the Browns, and I, I apologize, but they were three and one, and they considered a Super Bowl contender when they announced the move to Baltimore, and the team ended up five and eleven. It was an absolute train wreck. Like things can go south when you find this stuff out. Different Jack Del Rio situations. is a Bay Area guy who wants to. Oh well, I mean, I guess it is. How different is it? I'm just I saying. Mean, Cleveland was an entrenched franchise that. Uh, the Raiders have been a little transient in, in general, and this has been stuff that's been floated around for well, the, but Yeah, but the Raiders moving to Las Vegas is as close as you can come to like Madden-level science fiction that we can that you could dream up. <laughs> the Raiders belong in California. It, Just say no to Vegas. That goes for all aspects of life. I, it, it, it's moving forward. <laughs> it's moving forward. It, it sounds like. But Mark Davis did say they're going to be there two more years. One last thing. This division could have been uh, very – separated and with the Raiders and the Broncos, you know, kind of running away with it. A little bit of a condensing this week. Chargers take out the four and one Broncos. Chiefs take out the four and one Raiders. This is a good division. Look at you trying to talk the Chargers back into the race. The Chargers are in it. It's cute. They're, they've they've outscored opponents this year. The Raiders haven't. I, I, I just like how much you love the Chargers. It's nice. Uh, do we have to talk about the Jaguars and Bears? I guess we should. You know what? Out of respect for the listeners and the people on Periscope that are fans of these teams, it's like I, it's like I always say, when the Jets stunk when I was a kid, I always loved that inside the NFL with uh, Len Dawson and Nick Bonacani, they would always give all the teams equal Nick play. Nick Bonacani. And, I really, and, I, and that's what we're going to do here. That's what we're going to do for the people. To? We're going to do it. For those and fans. I was in Miami with my for this lady. House. Well, it was a couple minutes from. Jaguars the are in a. Don't lie about where the beach house is. Just yeah. be honest. Greg no is idea trying how to. A beach house works. Greg attempting to, you know, talk right over that lady who had a very yeah. important note to uh, drop about her beach house, which wasn't quite on the beach. <laughs> Blake Bortles led the Jaguars back from the dead on Sunday, wiping out a 16-point fourth-quarter deficit in a 17-16 win at Soldier Field. The hero was Aurelius Ben, whose 51-yard touchdown reception gave Jacksonville what? its first lead of the game. Bortles needed a win like this, didn't he, Greg? This is a win that a Blake Bortles needed. That's what we thought about the last win, and then they came and stunk up the joke. But I mean down late and having yes. to lead the team back. I no. mean, it's good for No, I'm with you. I'm profile. with you. I, I think there's reasons for them to have hope, if nothing else. They could be tied in the loss column uh, in the division coming out of this game. They needed something to hang their hat around. Their defense has been better. At least the defense gave them a chance to win this. I never thought I'd hear that the hero of the game was Aurelius Ben. Your 2016 <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars, ladies and gentlemen. Also, your 2016 Chicago Bears. Upset after the game was Alshon Jeffrey who had uh, six catches for 90 yards in the first half and then finished with seven for 93. I didn't catch this, but I heard that he was pretty charged up about the, the Bears' uh, lack of um, explosion, explosiveness on offense. Mark, you caught that, right? Yeah, I did, and I think he's got an absolute point. I mean, we've talked about the Bears. Yes, Hoyer is an uptick over Jay Cutler. I'm not sure what that means in the large scope of our earth, but give me a break. The Bears are an identity-free offense outside the fact that I like their running back. They've got they finally like, it's weird because in the last couple of weeks, these players that if you're self scouting were not even playing before, now you've got Jay Howard on your in your backfield leading the way and Cameron Meredith, eleven catches, hundred and hundred and thirteen yards after blowing up last week. Now maybe that's just what's happening in an offense that has nothing else going on, but it's an unpredictable cast of characters in week uh, six here. Ashan Jeffrey is the Bears franchise player, and he entered this game with fewer targets on the season than Eddie Royal and Zach Miller. Wow. Which is damning. And if you're in a contract year, 
you're damn right. You're that's gonna be probably able to where a lot of the anger is coming from. Which takes us to Sunday night. In front of Al, Chris, and the world, the Houston Texans wiped out a 14-point deficit with less than five minutes to play in regulation. And then after forcing a punt on defense in the overtime period, got a field goal from Nick Novak, who atoned for an earlier PAT miss in the game. Uh, the clinching field goal uh, wins the game 26-23 to uh, over the Colts at Reliance Stadium. Guys, a game, Mark, that... And you were struggling, Mark, uh, when this game went to OT. <laughs> if you want to check out Chris Wessling's Twitter feed, you get the exact moment uh, that the that we knew that the Texans were going to force overtime. Mark in a dark place. Mark, your thoughts about this game and this collapse by the Colts? Well, it's oh, <laughs> Sunday night. We all right there, Sid? I will start speaking, and you will not play that again. Whoa. Um. <laughs> I don't know what to say. This is such a depressing, <laughs> ghastly loss for the Colts. And I, I think it's fair. We're seeing from some of their beat writers that cover the team for a long time saying that it is the worst loss of the Pagano era, and that is including all the losses to New England. And it feels a little bit heavy-handed for a Week 6 game, considering the Colts. I mean, does anyone have much faith in this team? But this is an epic collapse. I laughed at Greg when he said that they could cut, that the Texans had a chance to win this thing with five or six minutes left, and Greg was turned into a complete prophet. A genius. And by man. the way, the Texans have all sorts of garbage issues too. So I don't know who comes out of here smiling. These teams are both headed nowhere. <laughs> well, the Texans come out smiling. They played. They played terrible. They were totally dominated for Which, fifty-five minutes, and they get to be in first place at four and two. I'm not saying they're a good team, but it's a stirring victory for them. Most of their fans left the game. The odds on them winning when it's twenty-three to nine, uh, and they haven't. You know what? They had one touchdown in the second half. They had three points and six drives in the first half. Their quarterback was playing awful. For them to go touchdown touchdown field goal to win it. I mean, it does I don't think they're going to be a great team, but they're going to be pretty yeah. damn excited. There's no oh, Super Bowl team involved. I can't believe it. <laughs> what was that? Oh no. Oh, that was uh, I can't believe I it. I mean, Brock Osweiler's going to have some great body That's, body language after this one. That was Greg's Brock Osweiler impression on Thursday <laughs> wow. show. Uh, isolated audio. Wes, ne- neither of these teams are going to be playing deep into January uh to Mark's point, but uh, at the same time, can heads roll in Indianapolis off a loss like this? Because it doesn't get much worse. First of all, nobody's smiling in Houston when Brock Osweiler is the quarterback. So I would say let's not overreact to the Colts blowing this game. And Made two fast. great throws to win the game, though. That's just a Should fact. have never That's been there because he played so poorly to put his sure. team in that position. The, the coaching to have Andrew Luck roll out in a must-run situation where you're trying to kill the clock. I didn't get that. How could you bungle that lead at that point in the game? And then we make excuses for Andrew Andrew Luck because he's a superstar talent and he's surrounded by garbage. By the end of this by the fourth quarter he's without Philip Dorsett. He's without Dante Moncrief. He's out without Dwayne Allen. So he's throwing to guys like Jack Doyle, Chester Rogers. Chester right. Rogers, but he misses the throw to T.Y. Hilton that he has to make if we're going to consider uh, him. If we're going to s- consider him a superstar upper-tier quarterback, he's got to make that throw, and this he didn't is, make it. 
after the game-tying touchdown late in the fourth quarter, the Colts have a chance to move down the field with two timeouts. They get to around midfield, second and nine, and he has T.Y. Hilton all alone down the right sideline. Would be probably about a 15- to 18-yard gain. He gets out of bounds. You're in business on the fringe of field goal range with Mr. Automatic Adam Vinatieri. And Luck can't make the throw. He, he short-arms it, and it's uh, trapped on the ground, and they never get closer, and they never get a better chance than that to win the game. Well, it doesn't move the ball in overtime. Has a really bad interception going into halftime where they had points on the board, gave up points there, and it's in a game against a team that you can't just give points to because you you had this Texans team down and out. He made a lot of bad throws. They settled for a field goal to go up 23-9 to when they could have scored a touchdown in that scenario. So a a loss like this, everyone's going to get the blame. And on the Texans side, I see a team down the stretch that, you know, to Chris's point, they don't trust their quarterback. Big night for Lamar Miller, and it might be more big afternoons for Lamar Miller because – but that that said, you have to th- you have to be able to throw the ball to get out of these games. And and, and out, yes, Brock Osweiler had a couple nice tosses at the end. But what a disastrous season so far for Brock Osweiler. And the amount of money you put into it, that's a whole front office and staff that needs to be questioned. Well, again, though, maybe this isn't the game to me to go off on the Brock Osweiler tangent because this could be a game he builds off. I mean, that was possible. Yeah, that was a big time throw to tie the game where he stuck it between the cornerback and the safety. Um, and we don't think he's a stud, but that is a game he could build off. I think the Texans have to be extremely thrilled that he played such a key role in that comeback because they needed him to do something like that. I I don't get I don't get that sense at all. Well, you, I, you I get I a little credit for that. This is the danger you get in when you see guys like Zach Mettenberger make a throw or two, and you you start to say this guy's good. They can build around him. No, he's the same kind of quarterback as Zach Mettenberger. He's got a long delivery. He's got fundamental flaws, and they go two and three quarters at a time. Time without moving yep. the offense. That isn't something to build upon. That's uh, a problem. And then you have the ballad of Frank Gore, who you may have heard the Colts hadn't had a 100-yard rusher uh, for three and a half years. Uh, heard which, enough. Which covered 55 uh, games, and it was the new the Chiefs don't have a touchdown from a wide receiver uh, stat du jour, and it got wiped out. And this was almost a, a, a fitting way for a uh, subplot of this game, a representation of the entire game. On his 20th carry, he, he hits the 100-yard marker, 20 for 100. And then in slow motion, you see the way things are setting up late in the fourth quarter where Frank's going to get the ball with nine men in the box, and he gets stuffed for a one-yard loss down to 99, so he loses it. The Colts even sent out a tweet congratulating him for the 100-yard rushing performance. He gets in an overtime, though. So, But thought that was a fitting like slop show right. uh, for this type of game. Because you win the game if he doesn't break the 100, and now they get a hollow, meaningless numbers which this Colts team has been all about. Last point, Wes. Go get my lunch. Some Let's all guess when Chuck Picano and Ryan Grigson are shown the door in Indianapolis. You th- both of them or one? They're both going either at the same or. time. Well, that's not how Go Go My Lunch works. you got to throw something out. No, that, that is how it goes. Just like what uh, I'm gonna, Dominic you know what? and Sue sign with. I'll go with Black Monday. I think they'll last the season, but. I think it's over. I I would tend to agree with you because this division is so uh, milquetoast, so bland, so winnable by any of them. Right. And and it doesn't mean because there's 12 teams that make the playoffs – that um, 12 teams are deserving of the playoffs. We need playoff realignment, number one, versus one of these AFC South teams squeaking in to get waxed in January. But we're going to get it. All right. I think you nailed it, Black Monday. Um, All right. That's it for Sunday's show, our flagship program. Thank you to everyone 
for listening and making it the uh, the most popular uh, Sunday podcast that the NFL universe has to offer. I think it's just that the world has to offer. Okay, let's That's go world. Fact. I don't care. World. Universe. Uh, next time you'll hear from us will be Tuesday where we will recap the final game of week six, which is uh, my New York Jets traveling to Arizona to face the Cardinals, and then we'll uh, look ahead to week seven. So the wheel keeps spinning. Let's get out of here, guys. All right, Mark, you get to go home. Dan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm. The mailman, the boss, and La Cid behind the glass. Till Tuesday. Sunday night's about to happen. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.